Welcome to this week's message from Crosspoint Community Church. You can find us on the web at crosspointonline.org. There, you can find links to our social media accounts. Led by Pastor Mike Deese, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. in Roswell, Georgia. Now presenting this week's message. You know, we live in a time when we are in desperate need of awesome. We fill our days searching for something to inspire us, transform us, motivate us, overwhelm us with joy and good feelings. We learn for something bigger than ourselves, something that will make sense out of life and give us purpose and meaning. We search the internet to buy the uh, latest techno gadget, strive to have the most fantastic experience in every area of our life. In a world where there is still hunger, we have an entire TV network devoted to playing with food. Our most basic needs now have to be met with the new and the exciting. We have to be thrilled by everything we do, and still our quest for awesome eludes us. Americans spend more per person on prescription drugs than any other high-income country, yet we rank 27 out of 176 in suicide. We feature the highest levels of household disposable income, which means we have the most money to spend entertaining ourselves, pleasing ourselves, buying things for ourselves, and making ourselves look good. But at the end, awesome has not been grasped. The point is, we want something awesome, and we are not getting it. The Urban Dictionary defines awesome as a word Americans use to describe just about everything. It could be used to describe the view from Mount Everest, which I climbed, or, no, not really, I flew over. <laughs> on my way on a mission trip to India, but it was awesome saw nothing else but the peak coming out of the clouds. So we use that word to describe such a view or a great cheese sandwich. If a word can mean anything, it starts to mean nothing. The literal dictionary defines awesome as extremely impressive or daunting, inspiring, something creating great admiration and appreciation, fear, inspiring awe, breathtaking, amazing, stunning, astounding, astonishing, stupendous, staggering, extraordinary, incredible, unbelievable, miraculous, dazzling, imposing, stirring, impressive, sublime, wondrous, and to use the vernacular, mind-blowing. No wonder we have a hard time finding awesome. The New American Standard Bible uses the word awesome to describe the name and works of God. The King James Bible often uses the word terrible. The better translation of the Hebrew word in today's language would be awesome. If you are experiencing an awesome deficit in your life, it could be 
that you are looking for something you can only find by understanding and knowing God. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things. How much awesome do you have in your life? How much awesome do you want in your life? You have a book in your hand or it might be in your lap that is the complete essence of awesome. Psalm 119.16 says this, My heart stands in awe of your words, the Bible. Some people avoid the Bible because they think it's a harsh book that says mean things to and about people. They think it will tell them to... uh, do all the things that they don't want to do and that they will go to hell if they don't stop doing all the things that they like to doing. Except for a few Bible stories they have learned as children. They think it's full of strange stuff that uh, they could never understand. The media has helped shape that view by portraying Bible believers as the most narrow-minded, bigoted, uncaring, malicious, mean-spirited and crazy people on the earth and just the opposite is true and I can tell that because I know you the Bible teaches us to be kind loving compassionate understanding generous and wise the Bible has long been the most hated and the most loved book ever written that is because it is a supernatural book and there is a supernatural enemy working against it, trying to destroy it, trying to remove it from your life. The Bible has extraordinary power to change lives. That is why our enemy hates it and is doing his best to keep you from it. Men do not reject the Bible because they think the Bible contradicts itself, but because the Bible contradicts them. The Bible is an awesome book and it has a powerful message that will transform your life. It transformed my life back in the 60s. When I was young, about nine years old, I went to Bible vacation school, vacation Bible school, got baptized, had no idea what I was doing, didn't know Christ. I was not saved. Just going through the motions because I was invited. They just told me, Oh, you're going to get baptized tonight. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. And I just did it. And it wasn't until years later. Didn't have a Bible in the house. Didn't go to church. uh, Didn't have any uh, support in any way to understand and know the Bible. Other than my brother who came to know the Lord and shared it with me and I don't think I really understood it when he, I understood the gospel, the plan of salvation. I understood that Christ died for me, gave his life for me, that I could have eternal life if I believed in him. And it wasn't by what I do, it wasn't by being a good boy, but it was by trusting only in him. But it's, it's just some, somehow it didn't click. It didn't change my life. It wasn't awesome. It wasn't an awesome experience. But I did have an awesome experience years later. After I joined the military, my name was on the draft, 
pretty soon I'd be over there, so I might as well just enlist and do something I enjoy. So I signed up. I was an aircraft electrician on B-52 bombers, and after going to school and doing a little LJT in Minot, North Dakota, they sent me to Southeast Asia, to Thailand, to Okinawa, and we're fixing planes that were bombing North Vietnam, and that's where I was. And we worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Maybe a little bit less sometimes, but we really worked hard. And so I drank real hard, because I had no meaning in life. That experience I had back when I was nine years old didn't change my life, even though I knew the gospel, or I could repeat it to you, but really didn't understand it, didn't sink in. It didn't have that experience. But one day, towards the end of my tour of duty and towards the end of my uh, four-year enlistment, I had an awesome experience. I was in a bar. I was slightly more under the influence than uh, I should be. In fact, terribly under the influence. Let's say this. I, I wasn't the designated driver. And then someone uh, offered me a little pot. I tried a little bit of that. And uh, I was just totally wasted. But that evening, in that condition, and not seeking God, God sought me. And this, this is an awesome experience. I can say, use the word awesome for this. God got in my face, face to face. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. But I knew he was right there in front of me. And I felt two emotions simultaneously. I felt total shame and total love and acceptance at the same time. So how do you run away from that? And that next day, I was a completely different person. Did not drink, did not hang out with my buddies, isolated myself from all of that garbage. And when I got back to the States, I prayed a serious prayer to God. I said, God, I had that awesome experience, but I don't know you in a personal way. I don't want to know about you. I want to know the Bible. And I had enough sense to ask God, God, send me to a place that's going to teach it straight so I can understand it, not be deceived by different doctrines or different religions. I, I need to, to know the truth. And that very year... I entered Florida Bible College, and uh, I was kind of a out-of-place guy. Had my uh, white short sleeve shirt, long skinny black tie, Marlboros in my pocket, a pencil in my ear, and a clipboard. And I'd never been to church. In fact, that Monday morning, I wasn't in church the previous day. I just walked in. Walked into the registrar's office and said, I want to learn the Bible. And I signed up. And my wife saw me, and she kind of felt sorry for me. And she invited me to a ministry for inner city kids. And then later I um, became uh, the director of that ministry. And we had 127 young people coming out every week. And um, all I wanted to do was learn the Bible, know God, and tell other people about God because I want them to experience the same thing I experienced. And that's my testimony.
What does the Bible say about awesome? Well, let's look at a couple of verses here. And I'm going to do this fast, so maybe you don't want to look them up. I'm, I just got them written out here on a piece of paper, and I'm going to read them because there's a lot of material here I want to share. And so trust me, I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Bible, the best version on the market today. So how does the Bible impact your life? Hebrews is, well, let me ask you this question first before I read the verse. Is the Bible living and active today? What's your opinion? Yeah? Okay. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as dividing the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart and there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Is the Bible living and powerful today? Absolutely. Another question. Is the Bible profitable today? Well, let me read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Is the Bible profitable today? You can say, absolutely. Thirdly, does the Bible speak to us today? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Does God speak to us today? You can say, absolutely. Is the Bible relevant today? Is it relevant in your life? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is in the uh, New Testament, talking about the Old Testament. You may say, well, the New Testament, maybe that's pretty profitable, but the Old Testament, I thought it was done away with. It's still here in my Bible, but I don't read it very often. Well, let's see what Paul says about that. He says, now these things, talking about the Old Testament happenings, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. There's an application. That word is alive today. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction thousand years later upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so this book is ageless and the instructions in this book are relevant today and in your life. So is the Bible relevant today? Absolutely. The Bible is like a compass and it keeps you from going south. The Bible is timeless. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
when I was uh, in Boy Scouts, I had a compass, a professional grade compass. Surveyor would like to have one of those. It uh, showed me where north was, south, east, west, and uh, we play games trying to hide things and find things according to compass and vector things. That compass kept me going in the right direction. The compass is the word of God, and it keeps you from going south when you need to be going in the right direction. Let me ask you this. How well do you know the word of God? Can you give an answer to every man that asks you of the hope that is in you? It says that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. That we are to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. We are to rightly divide the word of truth. We are to be prepared, and that was another scripture. And then we are in First Peter, we are to be prepared to give an answer to every man that asks us of the hope that is in us. Are you prepared to give an answer to someone that asks you a question from the Bible that would give them hope, that would give them direction in their life, that would keep them from going south and be blessed? Are you able to do that? Can you effectively share with another person? From the Word of God. Would you bring my Bible up here, please? <coughs> Never go anywhere without your Bible, especially when you're going to preach. <laughs> Thank you. I think we have time to do both of these, so let's go ahead and do it. This is a uh, profile from the American Bible Society, and it has uh, five categories, and maybe you're in one of these. I'm, I, well, I know you're in one of these categories. So just check in your own mind. You don't have to write it down or tell someone else next to you, but just put yourself in one of these five categories. They took this uh, profile throughout the uh, population of the United States, and it, the five categories are Bible-centered, which makes up 5% of the population. Bible engaged, 19%. Bible friendly, 19%. Bible neutral, 9%. And Bible disengaged, 48%. Well, this is what they found about a Bible-centered person, that they read the Bible every day or at least several times a week. A Bible-engaged person is someone who... Uh, mm, uses the Bible once a week or maybe once a month. A Bible-friendly person is a person that uh, may use it weekly, uh, but less often, not so much. A Bible-neutral person is a person who might read the Bible mm, once or twice or three or four times a year. And a Bible-disengaged person is a person that says they never use the Bible on their own. My wife wrote something up here. I think it's uh, very powerful. It certainly convicted me. And it's a commitment level. And there's 10 levels of commitment, she wrote here. And uh, 
she wants me to tell you that uh, it was really convicting to her as well, as, as was to me. Well, there's, it goes from neutral to positive, one through 10, 10 being the most positive. But before we looked at that, we're she wrote a negative here. They're just off the chart. They're not even part of the one through 10. The negative to the Bible. Bible haters like Madeline Murray O'Hare, who succeeded in her life's ambition of taking God, prayer, and Bible reading out of public schools, whose sad and disillusioned people who hate the Word of God so much that they can't even stand the sight of it in any setting. They demand that the Ten Commandments be removed from every courthouse and public building, even though people hardly even notice it or the totalitarian dictators who send people to their death just for owning a copy of God's word. These people know what the Bible says, and they hate it. Because the Bible says even in Romans chapter 1, when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were thankful, but became foolish and vain. And they turned away from God and changed God into something corruptible. Unlike most believers, they understand the intrinsic, intrinsic value and power, or not maybe not value, but power of God's word and fight as hard as they can to suppress it. Number one, put yourself in one of these categories. You may be, you may jump back and forth. Maybe you're partly in one category, partly in another category, but this is to uh, challenge us. Number one, on church and uninvolved. This group does not care if other people want to read the Bible, but they have no interest in it themselves. They do not own a Bible, and if someone gave them a copy of it, it would be given to goodwill. They feel that they have no need of God, preferring to run their own life and to solve their own problems, which works fine until they have a need that is bigger than their own resources. They have no idea what the Bible says and feel that prayer would be a waste of time. They have no real sense of purpose and little satisfaction in life. Now we jump up to the more positive, and this would be the pseudo-involved and unchurched. These people own a copy of the Bible, mainly because it is on a list of the top 10 books that people should read in their life, but they have only a vague idea of what it says, and have never actually read it. They would not know if a quote was from the Bible or secular from secular wisdom. Popular truisms such as God helps those who help themselves, cleanliness is next to godliness, or when a God closes a door, he always opens a window, are considered by many to be straight out of the Bible. They also don't recognize misquotes such as money is the root of all evil. While they would consider themselves to be Bible literate, much of what they think they know isn't even true. They will attempt prayer in a crisis and generally find the Christian life unchallenging and unfulfilling. The third group, random church attenders. They have a Bible and they know where it is, but it's never opened. And when they attend a service such as a wedding, funeral, ceremony, or other event, and the Bible is quoted or read, they find it refreshing and comforting. They have positive feelings about the Bible and they plan to read it one day when they have time. Knowing God is not a priority to them, they will pray in real trouble and ask themselves 
why they don't do this more. They experience unmet spiritual needs. Group number four, unchurched by habit. They have the idea of going to church, or they like the idea of going to church, and plan to do it more regularly when it fits into their schedule. They own a Bible and occasionally read it, especially if they do happen to make it to church. They cannot quote one complete verse from the Bible and could not tell you correctly what the Bible worldview is on any issue. They can recite five of the Ten Commandments from memory, prayers occasional and only for their personal immediate needs, seldom for others. They are usually restless and confused, but consider themselves to be serious Christians because of their great intentions of one day studying the Bible. Number five, group number five is the occasional group attender. They own a Bible and they will read it occasionally in church. They have, however, made a firm commitment to never let anything they read or hear ever interfere with the way they live their life. Obeying God is not a priority. Church is fine as long as no one expects them to change or grow. They have a very secular, non-biblical worldview, but they would claim to be a Bible-believing Christian. Prayer is infrequent and limited to personal needs only. For them, Christianity can become a challenge and a burden. Group number six, these are the more than occasional church attenders. They own a Bible and claim to believe what it says. They want to have a world biblical view, but they haven't studied enough to know what it is. They get confused about the issues, especially when there are conflicting views within the church. They try to read the Bible more than occasionally, but do not have a specific plan of study and often find themselves overwhelmed. They know they should attend a Bible study group, but will not make the time. Knowing the Bible is an aspirational goal, but not a priority. They pray even when not in church and often for the needs of others. They are finding some satisfaction in Christian life, but know there has to be more. Group number seven, regular ch church attenders. They own a Bible, read it more than occasionally in ten study groups, especially if they are held on Sunday morning when it's convenient. They have memorized a few verses in the classes they have attended. They have, they have some idea of an accurate worldview, but do not know how to articulate it. They avoid discussing the Bible, how to know God or current issues because of lack of knowledge. They feel very convicted that they should know more. Prayers are more global. Others' needs are important. The Christian life is fulfilling, but they sense it could be more satisfying. Do you have that sense? Group number eight, very regular church attender, owns several Bibles, often in different versions, attends study groups often, definitely on Sunday morning, but often during the week, serves frequently and may be in leadership. He will study for a specific class or complete a workbook, but rarely studies the Bible on his own. He does not know anything that was not taught to him by someone else. He has learned to be self, he, well, has not learned to be self-taught and cannot really get anything out of the Bible unless there is a booklet or a guide. He rarely opens the Bible just to see what God has to say. He makes an attempt to communicate a biblical worldview but lacks the knowledge to make an adequate defense if challenged. 
He does not usually change anyone's mind. He has memorized 15 to 20 Bible verses, prays often in and out of church, and will serve with enthusiasm. He enjoys the Christian life and finds it fulfilling. Now you have the ninth group, the very engaged regular church attender. He serves and leads, reads the Bible regularly, more than a few times a week, may lead, facilitate Bible study groups, and will own Christian books and commentaries. He has learned to study the Bible for himself, makes a diligent attempt to learn, and is serious about the responsibility to communicate truths to others. He has memorized verses so he can be effective in sharing his faith. He prays several times a day and serves with confidence, integrity, and enthusiasm. His Christian life is meaningful and satisfying, practically awesome. The tenth group, fully engaged regular church attender, one who serves others with or without official recognition. He reads the Bible regularly and enjoys learning more, prays often during the day, usually more for others than himself, he can teach or give counsel with authority and can articulate the world views effectively and make an impact on other people's thinking. He uses the Bible to communicate truth. He is generous giver and serves with humility. He can handle life in spite of difficulty and his character and integrity inspires others. He is enjoying knowing God. Life is awesome. And um, I'm not gonna tell you what she told me she was on this list. But uh, I think we all have a long way to go in knowing God and being prepared to have an answer for every man that has a question of the hope that is in us. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. There's so much more I wanted to share with you, but I just want to uh, take a quick look at the book of Hebrews here. Hebrews chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, for this reason we must pay close or much closer attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable and every transgression of disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation? He's talking to Christians here. He's not saying that they're should be in fear of losing their salvation, but the joy and the fellowship with God that they can have through his word, this book, the Bible, is the only way you can know God. God is an awesome God, and we know him through this book. I was uh, fishing in Biscayne Bay in Miami off of Crandon uh, Park. And we went to a good spot where there's lots of little reefs and stuff and should be a lot of fish down there. So we just threw out our yard, threw out our reels and um, started fishing. But I didn't throw out the anchor. And then uh, after a while, 
after not catching any fish, I found out that we drifted over a sandbar. And I looked down, and there was nothing there but sand. I was fishing on a sandbar. And if we neglect this book, we will drift away and find ourselves where we don't need to be. We will drift from it. Look at Hebrews chapter 5 for a moment. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So that was the problem then, and it's the problem today. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. And then look what you're missing out on. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, you won't go south. In other words, you won't end up on a sandbar, or worse yet, shipwrecked. By reason of use, know the word, live the word, teach the word. That is the power of the word of God in our life. Know it, know every command, every doctrine, every principle. There's commands like go into the world and all the world preach the gospel to every creature. That's a command. There's a doctrine. You don't do a doctrine, but you know it so you can know God and the heart of God and the power of God in your life. A doctrine would be Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then know all the principles of the word of God. Like whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. And so if you know the commandments and you know the doctrines, you know the principle, then you can handle accurately the word of God, as it says in Timothy. And so it's, it's, the, it's drifting away. It's neglect, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2. It's by not paying attention, by not listening. Because in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And his son is living in our hearts. And he has a word for us. And it's right here. And he has power to help us deliver that word through this vessel. It's right here. And he has given us a job. It says in John 17... Jesus talking to the Father, and Jesus says, Father, glorify me I have He says, "I have glorified you, having accomplished the work, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do." So Jesus says, Father, I, he's praying this prayer, I glorified you, having accomplished the work." So the goal was to glorify God. The purpose of your existence is to glorify God. And then later on in that same chapter, Jesus says to the Father, Now, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. Well, why did Jesus come into the world? To glorify the Father by accomplishing the work. And then Jesus says, Now, send them, you and me, into the world for the same purpose, to glorify the Father by accomplishing the work. And one of those works is to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, be prepared be a serious student of the Word of God so that you can do that. 
Turn to Psalm 119 quickly, and I'm going to close with uh, something that I felt very, very powerful as I was going through it. Psalm 119. This psalm is an acrostic. It has uh, 22 paragraphs, eight verses in each paragraph. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each paragraph begins with one of those 22 letters. It's a piece of poetry. It's a piece of fantastic, awesome work. In fact, in the middle of this psalm, the psalmist says, but my heart stands in awe of your word. And so we need to stand in awe of this word as we read it and as we absorb it and see what it does in our life. Look at Psalm 119. Verse 9, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? That's living the word. Verse 11, your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. That's learning the word so we can discern good and evil. We can't discern good and evil and keep from sinning against God unless we know his word. And then in verse 13, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. He says, teach. And so we are to learn the word live the word, teach the word. And you teach by discipleship, you teach by evangelism, you teach by uh, having a Bible study, you teach your children, you teach people one-on-one -on -one that you're speaking to, everyone is a teacher. The, the word of God is so powerful, it's described by 10 different words here in this one psalm. It's called the law, the testimonies, the ways, the precepts, the statutes, the commandments, the judgments, the word, the truth, and the past. And this is what God wants to do in your life through his word. This is, and these are the actions God wants you to take now. This is all, these are 40 action steps that are found in this one psalm that are given to us. And here they are. Walk in the word. There's all from this psalm. Walk in the word. Observe the word. Seek the word. Keep the word diligently. Do not be ashamed of the word. Learn the word. Do not forsake the word. Do not wander from the word. Proclaim the word. Rejoice in the word. Meditate on the word. Delight in the word. Do not forget the word. Live the word. Treasure the word in your heart. Regard the ways of the word. Behold the wonders of the word. Long after the word, be revived by the word. Do not turn from the word. And it goes on. To the next page. Be strengthened by the word. Cling to the word. Incline your heart to the word. Gain reverence for the word. Trust the word. Wait for the word. Love the word, lift up your hands to the word, remember the word, be comforted by the word, do not turn aside from the word, sing the word, turn your feet towards the word, believe the word, do not go astray from the word, 
Let the word sustain you, esteem the word rightfully. Let the word deliver you, choose the word, stand in awe of the word. Now, will that give you an awesome experience? Will that give you an awesome life? I'm convicted. I'm not in the word the way I need to be in the word. I mean, this is, this is heavy stuff. And sometimes we need to see how much priority God gives upon his word so that we can be effective servants of his. The Bible says that the word of God is alive and powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, as a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I pray that the word of God has pierced into our heart and into our soul and into our mind in such a way that it, it critiques us and turns us in the right direction. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you have never come to a place in your personal life where you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you knew about him, but you didn't have that awesome experience. You can have that. You can have it now by crying out to God and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I have sinned, but you took the punishment for all the sins that I have committed or will commit. And it's not a matter of me being good. It's a matter of me receiving your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness and your pardon. And if you do that, if you cry out to God, say, God, I've sinned, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you took the punishment for my sin so I could have eternal life. I believe in you. I'm not promising to do anything to be saved, but I'm looking forward to you doing something awesome in my life after I am saved. Not to be saved, but because I am saved. And that's how it works. You just come empty-handed. It's free. You become a child of God, and, and it, it starts there, and it will never end. He'll never cast you out. He'll never leave you. You can't lose your salvation. Once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ fully, you have eternal life and you become his child. I pray that you would do that today. And then I pray that you would be serious students of the word of God so that you can share that message to others. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's awesome. We thank you for um, all the wonderful things that we have gleaned from it this morning and will continue to glean from it for a lifetime of study and reading and engaging ourselves in the Word of God. Let us be Bible-engaged people. Let us be a Bible-engaged church. And let that please you and honor you so that you can use these tools that we're developing in our life and putting in our mind to help other people as well as help ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We have a special time right now where we uh, will give you an opportunity to, and I'm not talking to visitors, only church members, that we have, we enjoy this time because we have an opportunity together to share with some resources to help with the ministry here at uh, 
CCC. So as the band comes up, I'd like the uh, ushers to come up and we'll take the offering for this morning. And once the ushers get up here, I'm going to say a prayer. Thank God for his gracious provisions. <clears throat> Thank you, Father, for providing everything that we need and the opportunity to share some of what you've given to us. And I pray that it would be put to good use so other people may hear the gospel, other people may be encouraged, other people may grow in your awesome word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Crosspoint Community Church. You can find us on the web at crosspointonline.org. There, you'll find links to our social media accounts. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. in Roswell, Georgia. Tune in next week.